Hey all, Maximilian here. It's been a it's been a few weeks since I last did an inter, uh, did a podcast, so you just wanted to do another one for you. And um, this one is going to be a great one. And I have a few articles for you. I have three articles today. And before that, just going to catch up, catch you up. Um, we have spring here. We're fully in spring, so wild mushrooms and wild plants are just abundant right now. Um, I've been using a lot of garlic mustard in my smoothies and all kinds of greens, putting them in my smoothies, especially it's, those have been really tasty and, um, just been really busy farming and, um, gardening and spending time outdoors. So I hope this spring is going well for you too. Um, just a reminder, I have a, a camp coming up in June next month in upstate New York. And it's for, it's for, it's a kid's camp. So if you're a kid, message me and we'll get you into the camp. Um, it's going to be fun. We're going to do a lot of foraging, um, hiking, stuff like that. And uh, I also want to announce that I have my, our company, The Lion Man School of Rewilding. This is sponsored. This podcast is sponsored by that. And this makes it all possible. So I want to say that we are looking forward to moving and we're kind of moving in a, in a new direction and we we're looking for we're looking to hire more people instructors and as we are increasing our clients throughout the country um, we're going to need some great instructors so if you're interested please comment uh, or con- or contact me through my email so that's all i have for the introductions and so the first article I came across today is called Japanese knotweed extract could replace nitrates to slash processed meats health risks. Well, everything has a health risk. So, you know, in this title, it was kind of implicit that they're, you know, a little bit biased against meat. Um, but I think that it was cool that they're saying Japanese knotweed um, could replace nitrates. I guess that there are some health risks when you're eating meat that contain nitrates. Um, so in the article, they talk about uh, that didn't have any impact on the flavor, the knotweed didn't. I, I think when you eat knotweed, it, when you have it cooked, it can have a kind of a slimy texture. Um, they said the latest, pu- this is a paper published uh, in Molecular Nutrition and Food Research is part of the phytochemicals to reduce nitrate in meat products project, which is co-funded by the EU and has been running since 2012, which is, that's pretty long. And so that this was funny about this, um, and the phytone, they called it project. They've also looked at other plants like green tea and, and rosemary to add to sausages and hams um, that would be similar to, to knotweed. Um, so typically, you know, they were looking at knotweed because it contains resveratrol. And resveratrol is a strong antioxidant as well. It's used in, people use it for Lyme disease, um, treating Lyme disease. um, And it's one of the highest known um, plants. Uh, Japanese knotweed contains one of the highest amounts of uh, resveratrol. Other sources would be like um, wine and chocolate. I think chocolate does. Um, But I know that grapes, red wine does. The next article was titled Amazon of of Europe. 
in quotes, its first UNESCO biosphere to cover five nations. Now, I thought this was an interesting article. Um, it goes on to say, the new biosphere reserve covers an area of 700 kilometers, includes parts of Austria, Slovenia, Croatia, Hungary, and Serbia. The basis of the biosphere is a route along the Mura, Drava, and Danube rivers that wind through these five nations. Quote, in its biodiversity strategy, the EU pledged to protect 30% of EU land and seas by 2030. The creation of Mura, Drava, Danube Reserve is in line with the ambition of the EU Green Deal, says Claire Baffert, Senior Water Policy Officer at WWF European Policy Office. So uh, I thought, well, when, when I read that, you, you it stands out to me that, you know, number one, WWF has been accused of uh, working against indigenous peoples. And the EU and the Green Deal, whenever I hear the Green Deal, um, you know, or the, you know, these big deals that the EU does or the UN does, there's a lot of, there could be a lot of uh, challenging things, harmful things that come along with these kinds of deals. Um, they said the decision to protect the, quote, Amazon of Europe is a beacon of hope that should be replicated across the continent. Okay. Rivers and animal species do not know borders says senior water policy officer. That might be true. The Mura, the meaning the river, the Mura River, hosts the richest diver fish diversity, diversity in Slovenia, including 36 species on the IUCN, the inter so which that means the International Union of Conservation of Nature. So their red list of threatened species. So that contains 36 of these. That's a lot. It stems from the fact that the Mura is the only river system in Slovenia that is not divided into various sections by dams. Fish can migrate freely from the Danube all the way to Spielfeld on the Austrian border. In the core zone of the biosphere reserve, the measures will include restoring degraded river stretches, stretches and floodplain areas that will improve even more fish migration. So I'm curious to see how they're going to improve the floodplain areas. Maybe they're going to be planting, removing more, more debris. So I think that was, that would be a cool project. Um, the next article is called pioneering method of assessing rewilding progress applied for the first time. This was last September uh, published by the German center for integrative biodiversity research. Scientists from the German Center for Integrative Biodiversity Research, the Martin Luther University Hall Wittenberg in, the, in, a, in rewilding Europe, have developed a new way of evaluating rewilding progress. It's a groundbreaking application across, uh, so it's through rewilding Europe, um, which is an organization that's gained a lot of notice in the last probably five years, but before then it was happening. Um, and they're mostly concerned with um, they've they've been accused of kind of working against indigenous peoples um, and domesticated livestock, which is understandable. The Rotodope going on the Rotodope Mountains rewilding area, for example, has been affected by a trend that has seen land abandonment since in the, since beginning in the early 1990s, recently revert back toward agricultural intensification encroachment as a result of the common agricultural policy subsidies. Well, they're saying that it's not a good thing because they're saying that um, the more farmers they're turning these, these fields 
over and they're grazing more. And they say this is bad for the rewilding progress, which is, you know, you could definitely argue against that. Um, I think, what do you expect? People want to live in cities and buy food from China. I mean, why can't, why can't, why can't people grow their own food? Like they've done for 6,000 years. The, the last article I have is kind of a long, um, the long title. It's pretty, uh, you know, it's pretty specific to foragers. Um, so bear with me. It's called Evaluating Prehistoric Finds of Ar- Arhanitherium Alatius variety bulbosum. So that's is a species of grass in northwestern and central Europe with an emphasis on the first Neolithic finds in northern Germany. This was produced, uh, published in 2012. They say um, these bulbs were found uh, in graves. So they talk about the ritual, ritual, ritual importance. Today, the bulbous form seems to be extinct in some places where it evidently grew in prehistoric times, as in the case of Switzerland. Um, so they're saying that it's interesting that this... Obviously, it's, you know, it's obvious that landscapes change over time. Um, you know, 6,000 years of, you know, time will change landscapes. Until now, bulbs of Arhenatherium were discovered in Germany only at pre-Roman Iron Age and Roman period sites. Now, for the first time, finds of swollen basal internodes, which means that these were... Uh, probably bulbs that were connected to, uh, you know, these short stems that were reaching above ground um, have been discovered at a megalithic tomb site in northern Germany. As grave sites are predominant in the list of finds from this region until now, and as the plant remains were found within the burial, burial, burial urns or in their immediate proximity, Engelmark, uh, which is, I think he's probably the... Uh, he, he was the uh, archaeologist, assumed a connection between the bulbs and grave rituals or death cult activities. He drew parallels to ancient Greece, where root balls of asphodelis were used as grave goods. So there is some evidence that people were using this plant for food, but also using this as the bulbs for, um, since they were easy to propagate, which means like they were easy if you pulled them up and a little bulb came up with it, you could plant it somewhere else and that would grow into a new plant. And so the people presumably in this time, 6,000 or more years ago, were doing that with the understanding that that was a symbolic thing. So there's different hypotheses of why these tuber, these bulbs were showing up in these sites. So that's all for, that I have for you today. Um, I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any comments, please comment below and feel free to share it. Hope you're all going to have a great weekend.